0: Washington, D.C., this is on the ground. As Trump pleads not guilty to charges that he tried to overturn his loss in 2020, there are new revelations about President Biden's connections to his son's shady business dealings.
1: With his targeting of both Russia and China, Mr. Biden bids fair to get us plunged into World War III. And given the ultra rightist neo-fascist elements behind Mr. Trump, he bids fair to plunge us into a civil war. And
0: we speak to a young mother forced to give birth while incarcerated, and activists discuss the impact of U.S. covert operations on the U.S. public and around the world.
2: The Iraqis knew they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. That was a lie being told to you, so that you'd support a war that killed a million people. And sapped trillions of dollars from our treasury that could have been used to feed people in this country, give people homes in this country, give people health care.
0: All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org. Voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averum. First, some headlines. A federal judge in Virginia refused to dismiss the lawsuit against military contractor CACI Premier Technology for the torture suffered by prisoners at Abu Ghraib Prison during the U.S. invasion of Iraq. The suit was filed in 2008 by the Center for Constitutional Rights on behalf of former detainees and alleges that company officials conspired with U.S. military personnel in subjecting the plaintiffs to torture, beatings, rape, death threats, and other crimes. While military officers were court-martialed for their roles in the torture, CACI has gone unpunished and continues to reap millions of dollars in government contracts. In a statement, the Center for Constitutional Rights says, quote, CACI has repeatedly insisted that it is not liable for the torture it helped inflict on Iraqis. In fact, it has sought to have the case dismissed an astonishing 18 times being rebuffed four times by the Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit as well as by the Supreme Court. For its latest challenges, CACI invoked the Supreme Court's 2021 decision in Doe v. Nestle, which addressed the scope of the alien tort statute and three unrelated Supreme Court cases issued in 2022 as a basis for dismissal. In a 2018 ruling, The district court held that the treatment alleged by the men at Abu Ghraib constituted torture, war crimes and cruel, inhuman and degrading treatment actionable under the alien tort statute. The statute gives U.S. federal courts jurisdiction over civil actions brought by foreign nationals alleging violations of international law. Congressman Joaquin Castro said that Texas Governor Greg Abbott is, quote, knowingly trying to injure, maim, and kill migrants seeking asylum in the United States with razor wire and drowning devices, end quote. Castro made the statement on Twitter after two bodies, one of a child, were found on Wednesday, August 2nd, stuck in the buoy barrier placed by Abbott in the Rio Grande on the U.S.-Mexican border. The U.S. Justice Department is suing Texas and Abbott, arguing that the floating barrier poses threats to navigation and public safety and presents humanitarian concerns. The Office of Mexican Foreign Secretary Alicia Barsena, who last month filed a formal complaint over the barrier, issued a statement reiterating that, quote, the position of the government of Mexico that the placement of wire buoys by the Texas authorities is a violation of our sovereignty. She continued, we express our concern about the impact on the human rights and personal safety of migrants that these state policies will have, which run counter to the close collaboration between our country and the federal government of the United States. Cuba is declaring victory with tests showing that a three-dose regimen of their Abdallah candidate vaccine has demonstrated an efficacy of more than 92%, placing it well above the World Health Organization requirement of at least 50% to be recognized as an anti-COVID-19 vaccine. According to the Cuban newspaper Gramma, Abdallah's efficacy places it among vaccines with the best results in the world, which have all been produced in principal laboratories of the most developed countries, with financing of hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, something that for Cuba is impossible, even more so given the tightening of the U.S. economic, commercial, and financial blockade of the island during the pandemic. Teams of scientists conducted clinical trials for Abdallah in Santiago de Cuba, Bayamo, Guantanamo, and Havana with 48,000 volunteers who participated in the study. The final analysis of Abdallah's efficacy in preventing symptomatic cases of COVID-19, which was conducted by an independent group led by the Institute of Cybernetics and Mathematics and Physics, showed not only a response to the initial strain of SARS-CoV-19, but also the alpha, beta, and gamma mutations. And finally, in culture and media 18-year-old Linda Cesedo from Colombia is an instant star at the Women's World Cup underway in New Zealand and Australia. The petite forward scored mind-blowing goals in each of Colombia's first two matches, including one that set up the country's historic win over Germany, which is eliminated along with powerhouses Brazil and Canada. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
3: Oh say can you see by the blood in the streets that this
0: place doesn't smile And now I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. He's a professor of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston. And his most recent book is Revolting Capital, Racism and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. Well, because we are here in the nation's capital, I want to start with former President Trump. He was here back in the capital on Thursday. And he pled not guilty to these charges that he tried to overturn the election uh, brought by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith. So I thought that I would start by getting your top line thoughts about this latest indictment and uh, the landscape of the 2024 presidential election.
1: Well, Counsel Jack Smith of the U.S. Department of Justice now has a second case targeting Mr. Trump. And it's striking to juxtapose these two cases. That is to say, in Washington, D.C., you're likely going to see a diverse jury. And in fact, that speaks to one of the themes in my book on Washington, D.C. That is to say, the importance of the anti-gentrification movement, which helps to ensure that the miscreants on the federal level who go on trial are faced by black jurors who oftentimes, of course, are prone to reject right-wing mythology. Contrast that with the jury we likely will get in Fort Pierce, Florida. That is to say, a jury that more likely than not will be studded with Trump supporters. It's also striking to contrast the two judges. The judge in Washington is a former donor to the Barack Obama campaign of Jamaican ancestry and has a record of being quite harsh towards January 6th, 2021 insurrectionists who have appeared before her. I contrast her with Judge Cannon in Fort Pierce, who, as you know, uh, has a long track record of making a pro-Trump ruling, some of which have been overturned by higher courts, also, interestingly enough, studded with Trump judicial appointees. The overriding political point is in light of these two Trump indictments with more to come, but the most pricing one being in Washington, D.C., where he's accused credibly of seeking to prevent the peaceful transfer of power, it seems to me this raises searching questions about the mythology of the United States. Supposedly, there was this grand Republican small R experiment establishing a sturdy democracy, the likes of which we have not seen before or since. And yet, uh, what Mr. Trump is accused of credibly obviously raises uh, searching questions about that, but whether or not uh, those searching questions will be raised in the corporate media on cable news is another question
0: all this week i've been thinking a, a little bit about our conversation wa- last week when we played the biden audio from his uh, conversation before the council on foreign council on foreign relations uh, and where he was bragging about his ability to fire a ukrainian prosecutor who was looking into the Burisma corporation the corporation where his son Hunter had a very lucrative position on the board. And so this week I started thinking about the tape, the audio that all of us heard uh, before or right after the 2020 election, when Trump was trying to pressure Georgia officials to find that 11,000 plus votes for him. So you have these two recordings that implicate I believe these two potential frontrunner candidates for president in the, you know, um, violating the law. They are what do you call it, incriminating? Right. So we played that one tape and I'm just going to play a little snippet of it now. Uh, again, the one we played last week with Biden, and then I'm going to play Trump. So here we go.
4: And I went over, for, I guess the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee, and I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had, they were walking out the press conference, said no, nah, I said I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. (laughs) I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. (laughs) Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid.
0: That was Biden talking about Ukraine and talking about how much he had gone there, really, during the uh, presidency of Barack Obama. And I think he also kind of drags Obama into the whole mess, you know, by saying, you know, we'll call the president. And then here is Trump trying to uh, uh, find votes in Georgia after he lost the 2020 election.
2: All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,000... 780 votes, which is one more that we have. So what what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break.
0: So there was very different treatment about what happened with the arraignment on, like, say, MSNBC, where they're, you know, they have wall-to-wall coverage. And they'll play the Trump recording from Georgia. You turn on Fox and then you hear the uh, recording or you may hear the vid- you may see the video of uh, Biden you know, bragging about you know, his firing of this prosecutor in Ukraine. So I'm just pointing out that we're living in a uh, media universe where it's not a full coverage of the fact that the empire itself is in trouble and American people are just kind of not given the whole story.
1: Well, I'm still waiting for the New York Times to do a story, not only about Hunter Biden, but about Biden's sister and his brother, because I dare say that they too ultimately will be implicated in this corruption. You know that this past week, Devon Archer, who has been a business partner of Hunter Biden, testified before Congress, although it was a hearing not open to the public, the transcript has emerged. And the transcript obviously contradicts some of the things that Mr. Biden and his spokespersons have been saying. And you see that reflected in the spin put on the corruption by Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Previously, the line from her was that Mr. Biden, Joseph R. Biden, knows little to nothing about the business dealings of his son, Hunter. Now the line is Mr. Joseph R. Biden and his son, Hunter, are not in business together. And I think that that significant amendment was made because Devon Archer pointed out that during the course of a number of business meetings, it was routine, perhaps two dozen times in a short timeframe for Hunter Biden to put his father on speakerphone uh, hmm. to, while they're meeting with the uh, potential uh, business partners in Ukraine, China, and elsewhere. So obviously, Mr. Biden has known and has been witting about the dealings of his son. And uh, the, the only thing you can say about this corruption comparatively is that perhaps Mr. Trump is more corrupt because he has two sons, who are involved in the corruption, and Mr. Biden only has one.
0: And Trump has a son- in law also, very <laughs> heavily engaged with all types of deals around the world, right, including with the Saudis, including up in Baltimore, north of here, where he was a slum lord and harassing poor people about rent for you know, rat infested homes apartments. So there's that. It's also striking to me how differently people are looking at January 6th, because I think that most people would say, because we've seen the pictures, there are so many people here who who actually witnessed it, that Uh, you can't compare the violence of January 6th and the effort to overturn the election, to to basically mount an insurrection, even though he was not charged with insurrection and supposedly is still able to run for office, that you can't compare the violence we saw here to this kind of common thievery happening in Ukraine but when you link it to the fact that you have this proxy war going on in Ukraine and there's no there's no comparison to the violence there and the hundreds of thousands of people who've been killed in this proxy war which is just kind of an extension of this campaign of the neocons here in this country ever since the collapse of the Soviet Union, to move closer and closer to Russia's border, to ignore its security concerns, and to ultimately provoke this war. So when, when people talk to me about comparing the, the crimes or the whatever, I don't think there's any comparison.
1: Well, let me begin by quoting the late Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his phrase, a plague on both their houses, or more pointedly, the recent remarks of presidential hopeful Professor Cornel West, who says that with his targeting of both Russia and China, Mr. Biden bids fair to get us plunged into World War III. And given the ultra rightist neo-fascist elements behind Mr. Trump, He bids fair to plunge us into a civil war, so Mm. as they say in baseball, pick your poison.
0: Mm. You're listening to "On the Ground: Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital." I'm Esther Averam in conversation with Professor Gerald Horn, who is our geopolitical analyst. So I know that you want to talk to talk about Niger. We started to talk about it last week, and. I think some of the most the interesting uh, accounts that I read this week came from a friend of the show, Vijay Prashad, uh, who pointed out that the coup in Niger is only the most recent coup where the militaries in the Sahel are basically opposing governments that are popularly believed to be puppets of France and the U.S. And Contrary to a lot of the coups we've seen in the past, which may perhaps have been U.S.-backed or backed by uh, European countries against a popularly elected government, these coups are by military forces that are opposing unpopular governments that are considered to be Western puppets.
1: This is a very serious crisis that's unfolding as we speak in Niger. Keep in mind, that just a few days ago, the economic community of West African states, of which Nigeria is the locomotive, they pledged that if the detained president, President Mohamed Bazoum, is not released by Sunday, that they are contemplating a military intervention into Niger. Simultaneously, Niger's neighbors, including Burkina Faso and Mali, pledged that if that were to take place, they would see such an intervention as a war upon themselves. Uh, This could easily lead to a regional war. That's not to mention the fact that Algeria, which is a neighbor of Niger, is quite nervous about the fact that French troops are stationed as we speak in Niger, that there are German forces there, U.S. forces, apparently Canadian forces, that there is a major drone base, uh, of the North Atlantic countries uh, in Niger. And then there's the question of resources. uh, Niger is a repository of uranium, which is quite essential for the nuclear plants in France that generate electricity for that country. And thus you can see this crisis really as one more reflection of the crisis in Ukraine. What I mean by that is that with the North Atlantic country seeking to boycott Russia and all of its resources, that's put more emphasis on Nigerian natu- excuse me, Algerian natural gas, which the Western European nations are lusting after. The Niger uranium is also uh, critical because there has been a failed attempt to boycott Russian uranium and uh, therefore that puts Niger uranium in the spotlight. Then there are all the fissures and splits within Niger itself. President Bazoum, if you've seen him, uh, he is a representative of a minority Arab population. If you look at the so-called coup plotters, uh, they are not from that community. Uh, You also see a split within the military itself. The presidential guard are the ones who figuratively pulled the trigger against President Bazoum, detaining him. Initially, the wider military was not enthusiastic, but then they decided to join in. I'm sure that Nigeria, which is now, let's face it, acting as some sort of proxy for France and the United States, is zeroing in on that contradiction and that tension. Recall that in next door Sudan that the war there has been also driven by a split within the military between special forces and the wider military, which in a sense mirrors what's going on in Niger. And then there's the hypocrisy of the North Atlantic nations. Uh, For example, you had what amounts to a coup in Chad about a year or so ago, but that was not greeted with cries of military intervention not least because the Chadian regime has pledged to continue playing ball with the north atlantic nations the new regime in niger has not made such a pledge and therefore they're now under the gun and haven't
0: they haven't they said that they're going to stop exporting uranium and
1: gold to france i've seen those reports and we'll see if they carry forth with that because the sanctions slapped on Niger uh, by ECOWAS, Economic Community of West African States, led by Nigeria, they're very severe sanctions they are already uh, causing the economy to scream. And then there's the split between France and the United States. Uh, there's been an informal agreement between Paris and Washington for decades that Washington would stand aside and, and let France pretend to be a major power by presiding over a neo-colonial empire in Africa as long as it could keep the lid on but with these coups and Guinea-Conakry and Burkina Faso and Mali and now Niger, not to mention Chad, it's clear that France cannot keep the lid on. And in fact, uh, many of the commentators on French media, German media, and U.S. media had made quite a to-do about the fact that the protesters in the streets are waving Russian flags. It's almost as if we're back in the Cold War uh, once again, where whenever there is some sort of unrest anywhere in the world, the finger of accusation is pointed at the hand of Moscow.
0: What are you watching in terms of that story in the coming days?
1: Well, obviously, we're going to be holding our breath until Sunday and Monday, because that's when the military intervention has been pledged, which would be disastrous. Recall what happened when Nigeria intervened militarily in neighboring Liberia some years ago. The Nigerian military descended upon its neighbor uh, with the energy of crazed locusts. Entire industrial plants were lifted out of Liberia and transported back to Nigeria. There was a mm-hmm. pledge that if the Liberian leader, Charles Taylor, were to give up power, he could have sanctuary in Nigeria. Uh, that pledge was not honored, and that sends a message to other leaders who are. Being enticed by such a pledge, they should ignore it, which makes it almost inevitable that bloodshed will continue to flow. So uh, keep an eye on what happens Sunday and Monday in that part of Africa.
0: Are there any of the other stories that you want to mention before we
1: close out? Well, only once again on the Niger story that the United States has not been as full throated in its denunciation of the events in Niger as has been France. I think that that's indicative not only of the aforementioned split between Paris and Washington uh, on uh, that part of Africa, but also that Washington may be trying to cut some sort of deal uh, with the forces in Niger behind the backs of France.
0: Okay, well, we'll definitely keep a watch on that story, what's happening in Niger. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
5: See what key I want to do to them. Everybody knows that they're guilty. Everybody knows that they lied. Everybody knows that they're. Guilty. Thing on that eating there inside it's freedom. Said it's freedom time now. It's freedom. Said it's freedom time now. Time to get free. Yeah. or give ourselves up now. It's freedom. Said it's freedom time. Yeah, there's a war in the mind over territory for the Dominion. Who will dominate the opinions, schisms and isms Keeping us in forms of religion Conforming our vision to the world church's decision Trapped in a section Submitted to committee election Moral infection Epidemic lies and deception Insurrection of the highest possible order Distort and I take recorders from hearing like underwater Beyond the borders Find a sin and disorder Bound by the strategy of systemic depravity heaviest gravity Head first in the cavity Without a bottom A fate worse than Sodom What's got him drunk off the spirits? Truth comes, we can't hear it when you've been programmed to fear it. I had a vision, I was falling in indecision, appalling, calling religions a program on television. How can dominant wisdom be recognized in a system of antichrists and majority rules? Intelligent fools, PhDs an illusion, masters of mass confusion, bachelors of past delusion. Now who you choosing? The head of the tail, the bloodshed of the male, or confidence in the veil? Conferences at Yale, discussing doctrines of bail, causing people to fail, keeping the third in jail. His word is nailed everything to the tree, severing all of me from all that I used to be. Formless and void, totally paranoid, enjoying darkness' as lord, keeping me from the sword, blocked for mercy, bitter than thirsty. Hungry and thirsty for good meat, we were eat and still dine at the table of deceit. How incomplete. From confrontation to retreat, we belong to true enemies' defeat, destitute of necessity. Cause and desperation to get the best of me. Punishment to there was nothing left of me. Realizing the unescapable death of me. No options in the valley of decision. The only doctrine, supernatural circumcision. Inwardly, only water can purge the heart from words to fiery darts. Thrown by the workers of the arts. Iniquity, shaping in. There's no escaping when your whole philosophy is paper thin. In vanity, the wide
2: road is insanity. Do you understand I mean, Kabbalah? I'm here from the great city of Pittsburgh, and John also hails from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. And uh, when we talk about covert action, another synonym here for covert would be secret. But who is it secret from? Mm -hmm. From you and me. Right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, let's just give one example. The CIA began funding the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in June of 1979. In order to draw the Soviet Union into Afghanistan, which it did happen in 1980. Most people in this country believed that we started funding the Mujahideen after the Soviets invaded, but no, we did it before, in order to draw the Soviets into a war that would undermine and destroy them. The Afghans knew we were funding the Mujahideen. The Mujahideen knew we were funding the Mujahideen. Who was the Operation Secret from? Us. The American people! So that you'd be happy to boycott the Olympics in 1980 thinking that we were supporting the Mujahideen because the Soviets invaded. But no. We did it before. All these operations. You think the Nicaraguans didn't know that we were funding the cultures. Of course they did. They brought a case against the United States and the International Court of Justice saying that we were funding them, saying that we organized them. Who was it being kept secret from? The American people. Because they knew, if you knew what we were supporting in Nicaragua, you would say no, and you would stop the funding. And that's exactly what happened, by the way. Congress stopped the funding on two different occasions. And so what did Reagan do? He began more covert operations. Selling arms to Iran, who was under arms embargo at the time, and using the money to fund the conscience. Selling drugs on the streets of the United States. Cocaine in order to fund the countries. Which sounds like a cockamamie conspiracy theory, but everyone agrees today that that happened. Giving rise to to the crack cocaine epidemic. And who was that being kept secret from? The American people because they'd be horrified if they knew that was happening. The October Surprise, you remember that one? I like to, remember, to remind people this, because we forget, too. You know, Gordy had all called the USA, United States of Amnesia, which is true. In the October Surprise, again, the king of the covert operations, helped use the CIA to undermine Jimmy Carter's efforts to free the hostages in Iran. To have them held longer past the November elections so that he'd be elected and Carter would lose. So think about that. He was engaged in covert operations. He wasn't even the president yet. To keep his own citizens held hostage for months longer so he could become president. Remember when he was inaugurated a couple hours later, the hostages were released. Now, I was a kid at the time. I was uh, 12 years old, and and I was... Ray, I was raised in the Republican House and I thought, boy, that's how great Reagan is. He just by mere merely being inaugurated, they released the hostage. That's what a badass <laughs> he was. And of course we turned out later. No, in fact he made a deal with Ayatollah to have him held longer so he could become president. And that was kept secret. The Iranians knew we did it, or they couldn't have held the hostages. It was kept secret for the American people who, again, would be horrified to know that the guy they just elected president had done this and undermined democracy in doing it. So, when we talk about covert actions, they are awful and terrible and immoral to the other countries we're doing them to, but they're covert from you and they're undermining our democracy. Again, in the case of the October Surprise, that was a very direct of, of democracy. Right. But the other ones are being done to get your consent to continue funding bad things, and you keep consenting because you don't know we're doing bad things. Right. So, for example, another example of this, now this goes even to the intelligence gathering or alleged intelligence gathering and dissemination of the CIA, and that's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, right? The CIA was one of the fonts of the lie that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. That was just bad intelligence, and they knew it was bad, but it was politically motivated to chin up a war. Again, the Iraqis knew they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. That was a lie being told to you so that you'd support a war that killed a million people and sent trillions of dollars from our treasury that could have been used to feed people in this country, give people homes in this country, give people health care. Instead, it went to wars, unjust wars that killed millions of people. That is a big reason we have to highlight and expose and denounce covert action because it is undemocratic and it is destroying the very pattern of democracy in this country. Thank you, much. Um,
6: I want to bring up the issue of Daniel Hale because he is an incredibly courageous moral uh, man who exposed the U.S. drone program uh, Ann Wright and others of us, including uh, Pam here in this room, have been to places where the U.S. drones were being used, whether it was in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen. And we met with the families whose loved ones had been killed by those drones who just happened to be in the, quote, the wrong place at the wrong time. Had nothing to do with being involved in terrorist activities, while well, the U.S. was saying all along, "Oh, we have these targeted drones that they are so precise and they just will go and get you know Bill right here and uh, <laughs> won't bother anybody else in the room. We are so targeted, uh, and yet you know we saw with our own eyes that that was not the case. But you know it's hard to get proof of this stuff. And then we held a drone conference, uh, summit." Right here in Washington D.C. in 2013, and who appeared at that drone summit but Daniel Hale? And he had been in the uh, intelligence analyst in the U.S. government, had been stationed in Afghanistan, and he helped do the targeting of the drones. And here he came forward, and he said uh, he did had a study that in a five-month period of using the drones in Afghanistan, nearly 90% of those killed were not the intended targets. And at that drone summit, he encountered a man from Yemen who had lost two members of his family. And you could see Daniel Hale crying when he heard this man testifying. A very, very, very moral uh, man who came forward and ended up giving classified information to a reporter to expose the civilian death of this drone program. So I uh, ended up getting sentenced to 45 months in prison, where he still is today.
0: That was Code Pink co-founder Medea Benjamin, and before her, human rights attorney Dan Kavalik speaking in Washington, D.C., Monday, July 31st, on a program sponsored by covert action magazine titled blowing the whistle on covert warfare and coercive economic sanctions. This is on the ground. I'm Esther
3: Everram. Stay with us. I heard him call out. I heard him call for his mother and I didn't even call my mother. I wanted to avoid talking about the elephant in the room, the pig on my neck, the devil on detail We were born of a people who were torn from their people for the root of all evil. From it sprung the trunk, the branches, and the fruit of all evil. Unless they need you, they act as if they don't see you, besiege you, and tell you to cooperate as if it's something you agreed to. But for a criminal's constitution, nothing's illegal, except people who were once property, destroying property, upheaval, Keep your eye on the sparrow, the bald eagle, de-feathered and beheaded at the stoop of the steeple, guarded by soldiers, stupid yet lethal. It doesn't matter if a liar has a republic or democracy or a monarchy, it's malarkey. Don't mind me if I seem a little off-key or I sing a little off-key. But when we're on keys, we can unlock things. Souls freed, otherwise held hostage. On the ebony and ivory with the heart of a Gnostic, but hands of a locksmith. A pharmacist, a prescription for the toxic, eating away at our subconscious. Eight ball in a corner pocket. Eight ball on a corner carpet. How can we stop it when the cops and the robbers, money is their religion, they follow the same prophets. So don't mind me if I seem a little off-key, or I sing a little off-key But once we're in tune, oh, we can conduct the cosmos Conductor of the orchestra, conductor of the Underground Railroad Don't you see the kick, the thump, the heart, the crashing cymbals as symbols of shields? No Captain America, no Cap in America. If you're black and the finger snap, fade the black in America. So don't mind me if I seem a little off key, or I sing a little off key. More than mere melody, using horn and string to quarantine from a disease that sees us as less as human and more as things. So we don't play music, we pray music. Those same nooses hang useless, raise the dead. Like Jesus did We don't play music We pray music Vivid, lucid dreams Let loose in the pure hearts With divine acoustics We lay blueprints at the blue note I come from a people transmuted Transformed by song Until the musicians are translucent Until you see through them And see through this And bear witness to the oneness That from nothingness brought forth All of existence so don't mind me if I seem a little off key or I sing a little off key. It's more than mere melody. I'm in tune. We're in tune.
0: All right, I'm here at the special party for Life After Release. They're uh, at a new location at Creative Suitland in Suitland, Maryland. And I'm here with Lyra, and who else am I with here? Um, Lemire. Lemire. Thank you, Lemire, for joining our interview. So, Lyra, tell me, you know, how you're connected with Life After Release, and uh, maybe you can just tell me a story about, about why the organization is important to you, why you came out today. I am previously incarcerated.
7: I did uh, four months before, uh, well, I did about two months before even being introduced to life after release. And once introduced to them, I did another bond hearing, and they were able to fill my courtroom. And it really made an impact on the judge and them seeing me as a person and not just a number or another uniform. So
0: when you say uh, you had already done two months is that like pre-trial or? I don't know. Tell yeah. me, tell me, tell me more about the story I, so I understand. Um, I go to trial in October, October mm-hmm. uh, I think
7: eleventh, Sorry, sorry, tenth, mm-hmm. eleventh, and twelfth. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of just going to be sitting in jail waiting for a trial. So them filling the courtroom and you know making me more of a human. Helped me come home. I was eight months pregnant when I got arrested. Uh, I ended up having my baby behind bars, and he's my first baby. So it was a little—it was an interesting experience, to say the least. Mm-hmm. So when I got released, the first thing I did was say, I, "You know, I wanna—I wanna help somebody else because I know there's more women that maybe not exactly like me, but there's more women like me who could benefit from not only my story but the, the life after release as a whole." Um, I want to be able to
0: help them spread the word and let people know there's people here to help. So, in other words, I know Afini and just a lot of the work of the organization, it's been around to bailing out black mothers, right? And not having women like yourself sitting behind in jail for something you haven't even been convicted of. You're not even, right, you're just charged. Right, and then also the idea of cash bail, just challenging that in general, the idea of cash bail. You know, that's been a real big issue for several years now in terms of people trying to push back on that. So you had already, you know, if you can say, you know, what, what you had been arrested in jail for? Um. Ah. <laughs> they all love the phone. They um. all love the phone. <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea to talk okay. about it. Okay.
7: Um just cuz the trial is, is the case is still open.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And but in any case, when you when you got in touch with them, you had already done 2 months. Mm-hmm. And tell me about how you found out about them and tell me more about that support you received in the courthouse. Okay. Um I
7: I found out about them through um, a family friend who was friends with um, I That's her name, right. That's but right. one of the ladies who work here, mm-hmm. and they ended up putting uh, my grandmother in touch with them because I was behind bars, and my grandmother had previously stated, you know, she needed some help. She was kind of, didn't know who to talk to, who to, what to do, and she was kind of feeling like she was doing it all by herself. Right. So she called, and... Um, they ended up doing a three-way call between me, my grandmother, and the lady who works here, mm-hmm. and that's how our relationship started there, mm-hmm. um, and it's been great, honestly, um, mm-hmm. and you said, how did it help in the court? I went to a previous bond hearing January 1st. Uh. They seen the, my. of course, my family kind of came into the courtroom, but it didn't feel a courtroom, and... When the family went around asking, you know, who are you here for, things like that, the judge just kind of looked at them and was like, "Oh, okay." Um, but nonetheless, oh, she did this or she did that. Then I went to another bond hearing in April after uh, actually becoming one with the organization, and there, there was so many people in there. There weren't enough seats. There were people in the hallway and standing room in the courtroom. Like it was, it was, it was so noticeable the judge was like who are you mm-hmm. who are you guys here for and everyone of course they said me or said my name you know they I'm here for Lyra and it made a difference it made him say well let me let me listen to this
0: right like, there's okay. a there's some people behind her but, right um, right and then in the meantime all this time where were you being held um Prince George's County Jail okay and it's awful awful
7: there mm-hmm. i probably it's it, it's bad. It, it's, I don't, it's no, no good words to <laughs> describe yeah. it. The things you see in there, I've, I've seen people die in there. It's, it was an experience I'll never forget, mm. for sure. Mm.
0: Well, tell us about the fact that you had to have your baby there in the jail. Um, I felt
7: sad, of course. It's not how I planned on having my first child. Um, I just knew that my mom would be there, my grandmother would be there. It was. They would be. Or I thought they would be. That oh. this is how in my head it will go. Yeah. And um. So when I did go into labor, of course I was in shock because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know that I was in labor. By the time I got to the hospital, I was already three centimeters dilated. I Ended up having an emergency C-section, which I was accompanied by a corrections officer. After they didn't
0: have to have you. They didn't have you shackled, did they? Not
7: during the C-section. No.
0: Okay.
7: Afterwards because of I guess the way it looked, they ended up taking my son from me. The hospital took him. I was of course I was always supervised or, or with two officers, two corrections officers. But a female? Um one female, one male or uh, most of the time it was one female, one male. And the hospital thought I I don't know what the, what was going on, but they ended up taking him, um, probably about six or seven hours after I had him. And that was hard. Because I knew I wasn't gonna be able to leave with him, but to not even spend my three day hospital stay with him wow. was really hard. Um Wow Yeah, that was and they did end up chaining me to the bed after they took him wow. because they was like, you know, you're you seem distraught, we're gonna chain you to the bed. And um they ended up one shift lost the key. I was chained to the bed for about eight hours one shift because they just couldn't find the, the key that they brought wasn't working to unlock my ankle. The hospital ended up having bring in a bedside commode because I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't stand up. It was it was an and, interesting and, and, birth. And, and, and
0: having a C section is a major surgery too. Yes. I mean, you and you're supposed to get up and walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah uh, it was interesting to say the least. Yeah, how old are you, Lyra? I'm 24. Mhm. Yep. And um where were you born and where did you grow up? Um I was born in Washington DC. Um, I like to say I grew up everywhere. I've lived in a few min- many different states. I don't think I've resided in one place longer than a year.
0: Really? Were you, were your parents in the in the army in the
7: military no, or anything like that? Like, we moved like a military family. <laughs> we just was it like, within at least Maryland, or you mean like around the country? Moved, like uh, I lived in Ohio. I lived in Detroit. I've lived in Virginia. I would moved a lot. We lived in like New York at some point. Like it, it was a lot of bouncing around. But I contributed to this, you know young mother. You know yeah just. Eventually, we did get more stable, and now Maryland has always been our come back to place. Okay. Yeah. So we always, if we leave, we always come back
0: here. Right. So, right. Yeah.
7: now I can't wait to leave <laughs> myself.
0: <laughs> so what's next? The looking, going forward, you will have you'll, you'll you'll you're able to be here in the community with your family while you await for your trial in October.
7: Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah was that's, that's kind of it just kind of and able time. to be with yeah spending time with my little man <laughs> and my family love
0: Le- 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 me here love me here okay sixth
7: generation of L
0: of L's mm-hmm. oh wow okay y'all got that going on okay and why well, you have like a little earring wow <laughs> wow I to he had a coaching like his mom. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, he is just <laughs> too precious. Thank you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you would like to say about the, you know, the organization or just just the fact that they could have the celebration today?
7: It's nice to have people who are like me. It's nice to to feel welcomed and not judged somewhere. Mm-hmm. Even with, you know, I know my story isn't written on my forehead, but Sometimes when people stare too long, it makes you feel like, man, they might know me from the internet. They might know someone who knows me and they they see my charge, they don't see me. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be with Life After Release and around people from Life After Release or who have been impacted by Life After Release, it's like, I'm not the only one. I'm Mm -hmm. not just this alien. These people who are looking at me, they just like me. You know, Mm -hmm. I can relax for a second. And right. that's needed, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people, not it's just not just me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's okay. nice to have a community. <laughs> okay,
3: awesome.
0: And Lyra Davis will have the last word on today's show. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. You can contact us, work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. You can also listen to us on all your podcast platforms. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. Or also link to all shows on my Instagram page, Esther underscore Averum, which is I V like Victor, E-R-E-M like Mary. The music we played this hour included a remix of the Star Spangled Banner by Jill Scott performing live at the Essence Festival. Freedom Now by Lauren Hill. And In Tune by Robert Glasper featuring Amir Suleiman. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. Thank you for listening to our newest podcast. And I want to remind all of those who are listening who are yet a subscriber, you can subscribe for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon account. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And you can be a part of this totally listener sponsored project. And you can also go to our website on the and see more ways to give like PayPal or to send us a check. And we so appreciate it. Thank you for listening and see you next week or check us out next week. Thanks.